want to talk tonight about the problem of evil, which is a big, long-lasting and emotional argument against Christian theism. It is an argument against theism in general that there is a God, but particularly us, as we speak so highly of God's love and God's grace. And if we are genuinely Christians, we speak so highly of God, his power, his greatness. And so to speak of a great God and to know that people will simply look at suffering and evil in this world and say, well, of course your God is not great because of the things that we experience in this world. We better have a a good, well-reasoned response to that. I put problem in quotes because of course God does all things well. It's a problem for us on the receiving end of so much of what seems to be uncomfortable um, reactions, the circumstances of life that we don't like. Uh, But in God's economy, of course, ultimately it is not a problem. It is um, part of God's good and gracious plan. But the argument against Christian theism goes like this, simply that evil exists, that there is evil in this world. And I don't think, unless you're a Christian scientist, you would uh, dispute that. There are other religious systems that do. Uh, It's not an illusion. It's a reality. And that is that there is something less than what ought to be. And we'll try to define that later as we think through the problem of what we're talking about. But at least in terms of the argument and how it's laid out, that there evil does exist, that there is sin, that there's a problem usually defined as things that I don't like, things that are uh, uncomfortable, things that make uh, pain for my life. And that God, and here's how we pontificate about God, that God shouldn't let evil exist. If God... Um, is the kind of God we hope him to be, then he would not be allowing this evil slash suffering. And maybe in our day we should say, as I put in the first point, it's a problem of suffering and evil. Certainly the concern is that we're not happy with it. It's painful for us either to consider or to be on the receiving end to experience it. Therefore, our God must be deficient. If there is a God, he's a God, as many have said, uh, as they've said to me in several instances, I would not want to worship your God. I would not want to be a part of who your God is. I don't want to uh, serve your God if your God is a God who lets evil and suffering exist. And the deficiencies, as it's classically posited, and it has been this way for centuries, uh, that your God must be deficient in one or more of these ways. Uh, Your God doesn't know. He doesn't know that all this suffering and evil is taking place in this world. And of course, our word for that that we've at least used as a placeholder for this set of attributes within God's character is that we surmise or or summarize rather the uh, attribute of God as being omniscient. He has all uh, knowledge. And so we would say he's omniscient and they would say, well, he can't be omniscient uh, because he shouldn't let evil exist. And if it does exist, then of course, uh, maybe it is that he doesn't know about it. Number two, it could be that he can't stop it. God is in some way powerless to stop what's going on, of course, because the second point is they think it should stop and that God should stop it. God shouldn't have allowed it in the first place. And if your God has set things up that have kind of gotten out of control, he's like the mad scientist that's created Frankenstein, and because he can't put it to an end, he is, as a lot of the science fiction movies will depict, he is maybe the creator, but he's not potent to solve the problem that has been created by his creation. Or lastly, uh, maybe he doesn't care. And this is becoming an increasingly popular way to uh, frame this, that God is a God who is bad, somehow he's malevolent, somehow he is not a good God uh, because he doesn't care. He's passive in the light of all this. And if you're passive in the light of suffering, you must be 
You must be bad. You're not good. You're not certainly not loving if love is the well-being or the concern for the well-being of other people. If you really have a concern for the well-being of other people, bad things in this world would not happen. So that is how it's been classically posited. We need to deal with that. Christians, every Christian have a, should have a response to it, and we need to understand at least how it's presented and in all of its forms that I've ever seen by any intelligent person, uh, and you don't have to be all that intelligent at all to object to suffering in the world. If you're going to correlate the idea of God with that, you're going to get down to this basic concern. Your God doesn't know, your God can't stop it, or your God doesn't care, or maybe all three. All right. The modern expression of it, and I'm quoting Sam Harris now in a book, a little book called Letter uh, to a Christian Nation. He's one of the four um, horsemen, as they say, of the new atheism, uh, and he is uh, the young, articulate, uh, so they say, uh, articulate spokesman for the new kind of atheism. As I've taught on before, atheism has moved from the shadows into the spotlight today, even though they can't seem to garner the adherence that they want. We're still primarily, even in a technologically advanced world, primarily theistic. We believe in God, though we may shape him to our own fancy. The reality is that today uh, it is hard in certain circles, in the academy, in the ivory tower of the university, to say that you believe in God, certainly a Christian God. And so you've got Sam Harris, among others, Uh, Richard Dawkins, as we've looked at before, uh, saying you're really a fool to believe in God. At one time, it was hard to not believe in God. Today, in certain settings, in the upper echelon of our society, intellectually, it is hard for you to believe in God. So we've moved into that era, and Sam, I think, um, posits it well. At least he thinks as an intellectual of our day that this is how it ought to be understood, and one illustration will dismantle your theism, and this is the illustration that he gives, off-quoted. Somewhere in the world, he says, a a man has abducted a little girl. Soon he will rape, torture, and kill her. And he goes on in the ellipsis there, whether it's today or tomorrow, in hours, weeks, months, eventually he's going to kill and rape this girl and torture her. This girl's parents believe, as you do, as he addresses a Christian nation, uh, as you believe, that an all-powerful, all-loving God is watching over them and their family. Are they right to believe this? Is it good that they believe this? No. The entirety of atheism is contained in this response. We should not believe in a God who would ever allow such a thing. If he's all-powerful, he can stop it. If he's all-loving and he wants to stop it and he knows about it, which is embedded in this illustration, then, of course, he would put it to an end. And that is the kind of, uh, as others have said, sentimental, emotional response to... God in light of all the suffering that they see in the headlines or experience themselves, and this, they would say, is the ultimate expression of that injustice, that inequity. It's not right. Here's a little girl being raped by some sweaty, hairy, uh, perverted adult, and that is wrong, and because it's wrong and so egregious, you can't have a good God sitting on the sidelines watching over. There's the omniscient part. Uh, People like that, uh, you shouldn't believe in that God. Matter of fact, it's immoral for you, as he would say. It's egregious for you to believe in that God, and our nation needs to be purged of that kind of thinking, the thinking that there is a God in light of all this evil. couple of things. When the Christians respond to this, and it's a good word to know as we often talk about uh, when we get to this level of thinking through God and who he is and the world and its problems, whether we're talking about uh, hermartiology, our study of sin, or theology proper, our study of God, uh, it's a good word to have in our back pocket to understand this for the sake of at least research and reading books or finding the topic under this heading. 
It's the word theodicy. Theodicy. When the Christian responds to this, uh, they are doing this. It's a branch of theology called theodicy, and everyone has dealt with this, not just Christian theologians, but of course, Jewish theologians and even uh, Islamic or anyone who believes in God, particularly those three monotheistic religions are trying to respond to this. Uh, This comes from Greek, of course, as many of our words do for theology. Theos means God. That's the first part, which I know you know from theology. And the second part of that word, this compound word, uh, dike. Dike is the word justice. And so a couple ways that this is defined, but Webster's Dictionary defines it as the vindication of God's justice in allowing evil. Why is this evil here? How does God allow this? And the charge is it shouldn't happen. As Sam Harris has emotionally presented it, you guys should not be believing in an all-powerful, all-loving God who oversees people and allows these kinds of things to take place. Well, this will certainly uh, require a practice of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which is the core of what we look to and find the word apologetics in, and that is be ready to make a defense, that phrase, to make a defense, to get this charge, apologia, off of our back. That's the practice and the work of theodicy. If anyone asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you, and everyone eventually will, probably no one in this room has been active in evangelism that hasn't been hit with this question, how in the world is God going to allow suffering and evil in the world? It's a constant Uh, it's a constant concern of every generation. So we've got to be able to respond to this. 